the podcast from Belmont Chapel in Exeter, sharing the story, living the life. For more information, go to belmontchapel.org.uk. Hello, everybody. Hello. Uh, my name is Simon. I'm one of the leaders here at the church. A very warm welcome to you this morning, uh, whether that's uh, with us in the building or at home uh, online. During the week, I, um, I work part-time at a, a tech company. I'm in the murky world of sales. And uh, the other half of the week, I'm a stay-at-home dad. And most of that time is spent attempting to put my children's shoes on. And, uh, and I'm going to tell you more about that in just a minute, actually. It's my privilege this morning to, to carry on our teaching through John's Gospel And we're going to be in chapter 5 today. So if you've got a Bible, um, uh, grab that and have it open in front of you, uh, whether that's paper or or on your phone. Uh, I will make sure that there are words up on the screen for you as well to follow along. So that's, uh, that's where we're going. And so by the end of today, we'll have made it through to the end of uh, John chapter 5. We are making our way through John's gospel, and I do hope that uh, what I've prepared this morning serves you and blesses you. Perhaps uh, it might impact uh, you if you've had a pants week. Gemma, I can aim at you and, uh, and preach to you this morning. Okay. Well, let's make a start then. Please put your shoes on. Please stop climbing on your brother. Uh, Please uh, just eat your dinner. Uh, Please just get into the bath. Please just get out of the bath. Uh, Or this morning, please don't dance too near to the communion table. I mean, uh, these are just some trivial examples from, from my week, and they show me so painfully clearly how my own words are completely ineffective and powerless. Can I get an amen, parents? Yeah, amen. We're in it together. Fantastic. So whether that request is a polite, is a polite well-worded, thought-through request, whether it's passionate persuasion or an exasperated command, my words are completely powerless. I get wonderful daily reminders from my children of the weakness of my ordinary words. I genuinely, genuinely did just want my children to put their shoes on. But my words this week especially had no power whatsoever to bring about the great shoe-putting-on event at 8.25 on Monday morning. God's Word, of course, the Bible, is entirely different. It comes with power built in. Can you recall last week? We were over here, weren't we? We were over here with the man at the pool in in Bethesda who is miraculously healed with a word, with a very, very powerful word from Jesus. Can you remember what that word was? What was that word? What did Jesus say to the paralyzed man at the pool in Bethesda? He said, get up, pick up your mat and walk. And at once, right there and then, the man was cured. Wow. He picked up his mat and he walked. God's words come with power built 
in. That's what we saw uh, last week in John uh, chapter 5. And that's where we're going to pick up our story this morning. You'll recall he had been an invalid for 38 years. And he's just been lying there. And Jesus says to him, get up. And he does. You can catch up with that with last week's message. You can do that online on YouTube, on podcast, or via the Belmont website. Do take a look at it because effectively this morning, this is part two of chapter five, part two. And you would think that that amazing, amazing healing would have ended in a neat and tidy way. How do Bible stories like that usually end in our imagination? Perhaps kind of the Monty Python line, and there was much rejoicing, or the man went away and told all his friends, or perhaps everybody was just simply in awe of Jesus and what he had done. Sadly, no, that is not what happens next in this story. The reality is what happens next is a bitter dispute about the technicalities of what's just happened. Because all of this occurred on the day of the Sabbath, the day of rest. It's as if the religious authorities of the day are saying that this life-giving miracle didn't meet the necessary regulatory requirements of the day. This life-giving miracle wasn't FDA 510K cleared. It didn't meet ISO standards. It certainly wasn't certified for use in Europe. Sorry, Jesus, your life-giving miracle doesn't count. So let's take a look at verse 15 and pick up where we've left off in the story. You've been primed for a dry and dusty conversation about religious regulation and niche interpretations of religious law. You excited this morning? Good, good. Well, what do you think happened next? Do you think Jesus left it there or do you think Jesus threw a theological grenade into the room? What do you think he did? Let's have a read together. So John's Gospel, chapter 5, and from verse 15. The man, that's the paralyzed man, now well. The man went away and told the Jewish leaders that it was Jesus who had made him well. So because Jesus was doing these things on the Sabbath, the Jewish leaders began to persecute him. In his defense, Jesus said to them, My father is always at his work to this very day, and I too am working. Now for this reason, they tried all the more to kill him. Not only was he breaking the Sabbath, he was even calling God his own father, making himself equal with God. Well, Jesus gave them this answer. Very truly, I tell you, the son can do nothing by himself. He can only do what he sees his father doing, because whatever the father does, the son also does. For the father loves the son and shows him all he does. Yes, and he will show him even greater works than these, so that you'll be amazed. For just as the father raises the dead and gives them life, even so the son gives life to whom he's pleased to give it. Moreover, the Father judges no one, but is entrusted all judgment to the Son, that all may honor the Son just as they honor the Father. Whoever does not honor the Son does not honor the Father who sent him. 
Very truly I tell you, whoever hears my word and believes him who sent me has eternal life and will not be judged, but has crossed over from death to life. Very truly I tell you, a time is coming and has now come when the dead will hear the voice of the Son of God and those who hear will live. For as the Father has life in himself, so he's granted the Son also to have life in himself. And he has given him authority to judge because he is the Son of Man. Do not be amazed at this. For a time is coming when all who are in their graves will hear his voice and come out. Those who have done good, have done what is good, will rise to live. Those who have done what is evil will rise to be condemned. By myself I can do nothing. I judge only as I hear, and my judgment is just. For I seek not to please myself, but him who sent me. Well, well done, everyone. We are going to take a look at that passage now together. Please keep it open in front of you. And here's what I think the big idea of that passage is. We've read for a huge chunk of scripture. It's got some incredibly profound and deep concepts in there. But here's what I think at a glance is going on. Here's the big idea this morning. Take, just take a look here. Just take a look here where we were last week. The paralyzed man raised, who gets up at the word of Jesus. Here's where I think we're going next. Here's what Jesus wants to say to all who will listen to him. He wants to say this, that his words, Jesus's words can do for sin and condemnation what you've just seen them do, what you've just seen them do for muscles and nerves, tendons and ligaments. The paralyzed man gets up at the command of Jesus. The paralyzed man was raised, and you can be too. That's what I think this passage has in store for us this morning. Can you see that? Do you agree with that? You've got the Bible open in front of you. Do you agree with that assessment? That's what I think is going on. Jesus' teaching here is all about his voice the things that he says, his words. And his word has power to raise, to resurrect. Verse 21, verse 24, verse 25, verse 28. Jesus' words have power to raise. That's exactly what he's just done for the paralyzed man. Do you remember that exact word that Jesus said to him, the paralyzed man? What did he say? Get up. Underneath that word is quite literally in the Greek the word rise. In fact, it gets used in our passage this morning in verse 21 to speak of the Father raising people from the dead. It's like Jesus says to the paralyzed man, resurrect, rise. And he does. He quite literally arises, he awakes, he gets up. The same word is used later in this passage to speak of raising the dead. That's what Jesus does with his words. The paralyzed man rose, and you can too. So today, if you hear his voice, don't harden your heart. 
Because in this little scene that we've just read about, the emphasis changes from talking about this man here to talking to you. That's why John wrote his gospel. He wants to talk to you. Jesus did many other signs in the presence of his disciples. But these things are written that you may believe. He wants to talk to you this morning. And so here's how I want to prove that point to you this morning. I want us to take a look now at what is, I think, the John 3.16 of our passage. That's John 5 and verse 24. As the emphasis moves from the paralyzed man who was healed there and then to what Jesus can do for you in the here and now. Take a look at verse 24. And when Jesus says, very truly I tell you, he's talking serious and solemn and meaningful. I don't know whether you've got at home a, uh, a red letter Bible. Has anyone got one of those? I, uh, I think they must have been all the rage, perhaps like 10 or 15 years ago. So I've got one at home. When we read Jesus say, very truly I tell you, that would be like these words being in bright, the brightest, most vivid, startling, dazzling red you would ever see. He's, this is a direct speech, carefully considered, and this is his pithy statement, his line about what this is all about. Very truly, I tell you, whoever hears my words and believes him who sent me has eternal life and will not be judged, but has crossed over from death to life. So question, are you with me? Uh, do you think that's right, that assessment? Jesus' words can do for sin and condemnation what we've literally just seen them do for muscles and nerves, tendons and ligaments. If you're with me thus far, that should leave you with a question. What's the question? How? How can he do this? How? How is it he can do this? And he wants to give a very, very clear answer to this. Jesus is equal with God. He has equality with God. That's exactly why he can do this and bring spiritual life to you. Bring resurrection to you because he is equal with God. Verse 17, Jesus says in defense to those who are speaking to him, my father is always at his work to this very day and I too am working. If you hadn't noticed, that's the theological grenade that moves this from a dry, dusty conversation to talking about who Jesus is. His identity, which covers this huge swathe of scripture now from John 5 right through to John 10. We're talking from so many different angles about who Jesus is, his identity. Now, every single Jewish leader of the day, the rabbis, the Pharisees, the Sadducees, they're all agreed on this one point, that when it comes to the Sabbath, God himself worked on it. God is always at work. This is his world. He is at work sustaining and retaining and keeping his world in motion. So here in Jesus' one pithy little line is his defense of healing the paralyzed man on the Sabbath. And in it, he's doing something really profound. As he says, my father, and he's talking to God, my father is always at his work. To this very day, 
I too am working. Jesus is applying all that's true of God to himself. Did you get that? Jesus is applying all that's true of God to himself. And that's what he does just in the remainder of this passage. So in these next few verses, we get Jesus speaking at length from multiple different angles about his identity, who he is, his self-understanding. And that is that he is equal with God. He has equality with God. So let's come back to that question. How can he do this? Well, Jesus is equal with God. He has equality with God in life and in judgment. And this isn't just him saying that. His opponents said it too. You can always get to the grips as to whether someone's been understood as to whether their opponents can say their argument in the very same way that the person expressing it does. Let me make that clear. His opponents are crystal clear that what Jesus is saying is making him equal with God. He says in verse 18, his opponents say, he was even calling God his own father, making himself equal with God. And that is so important for you. That's so important for your own confidence in the gospel. That's so important for your own confidence in who Jesus is. It's vital for you to know the basics of the gospel, that Jesus' divinity doesn't just hang on a couple of words or some niche interpretations. It hangs on whole swathes of scripture. In that he spoke of himself in divine terms that were clearly understood, but even by his opponents. Those who hated him and who wanted to kill him understood that he was declaring that he was God. So right here, Jesus just lays it all out. And he really is in logical, reasoning, argumentative tone. He just puts down six pieces of evidence that speak to his equality with God. Let's run through them now. I'm not going to take any time on each one, but they're just here and we need to see them. Jesus says, I do what my father does. He gives life to the dead. Jesus says, I judge as a representative of the Father. Jesus says, if he's not honoured, God is not honoured. Jesus says, the one who believes in him, believes in God. And Jesus says, like God, he has life in himself. And Jesus says, in God's power, I will always do what he wants. Jesus is just laying out the evidence there and saying to his opponents, you're right. I am claiming to be equal with God. So do you believe this? Will you go on believing this? Well, there is so much more to this section of scripture than just a simple proof of Jesus's divinity. And it's here that you really get into the loveliness and the warmth and the, I think, just the the depth of what it can look like to know God and to know the Son and therefore to know the Father. In this wonderful insight into who God is, what he's like and what the Godhead is like, we get to see the family business, the family business of the Father and the Son. In our passage this morning, Father is mentioned 15 times. 
of the hundred or so in John's Gospel, Son is mentioned 12 times. When we want to speak of God, we are speaking of the Father and of the Son. And of course, later on in the Gospel, we'll know, of course, the Spirit too. And what Jesus describes here is just this beautiful relationship, the very identity of God. He describes this beautiful relationship of equals, that the Father and the Son are equal in divinity. He describes this beautiful relationship of dependence. By myself, I can do nothing, says Jesus in verse 30. He describes a beautiful relationship of love. The Father loves the Son, verse 20. And he describes a beautiful relationship of trust and of honour. This is just these beautiful words to describe true family life. And God is this familial, family relationship between the Father and the Son. One of equality and dependence, love, trust and honour. This is definitely one of those passages that's deep enough for an elephant to swim in. But because this is about real love, not the love in dreams, but real love, there's something else that we need to talk about too. And I'd be doing Jesus a disservice to skip over it, wouldn't I? I don't know if you saw it there in our passage. It's not something we're particularly comfortable with, but it's there on multiple, multiple occasions. And that's this, that's judgment, isn't it? Did you see it there in our passage this morning? Jesus is equal with God In life, he's able to bring life in the same way that God does. But he's equal with God in judgment. He's the one who's been entrusted with all judgment. He is the just judge. It's something we'd rather not talk about. Justice, yes. Justice, we're a bit more comfortable with, aren't we? Justice in the here and now is a subject close to the heart of many whether it's the climate crisis, global poverty, modern-day slavery, or the refugee crisis. Justice isn't just a passion in the world, it's a passion of God. It's a huge theme running through Jesus' teaching. And in fact, when you think about it, it's written into the very story of his life as one who drew near to those who were suffering injustice and as one who felt the cruel edge of injustice, in his own betrayal, torture, and crucifixion. Yet justice isn't the subject on Jesus' mind in John 5. Here we find him speaking not of justice, but of, not of justice in the here and now, but of judgment in the there and then. Verse 22, moreover, the Father judges no one, but he has entrusted all judgment to the Son. Well, verse 24 Very truly, I tell you, whoever hears my word and believes him who sent me has eternal life and will not be judged, but has crossed over from death to life. Or verse 27, he has given him, that's Jesus, authority to judge because he is the son of man. Or verse 30, by myself I can do nothing, says Jesus. I judge only as I hear and my judgment is just for I seek not to please myself but him who sent me. Those just are the words of Jesus. 
my admiration, love and respect always grow for someone when they're willing to tell me not what I want to hear but what I need to hear. So I love Jesus for the words he has here for us. He describes himself, the one who experienced the sharp edge of injustice, as the just judge. He embodies the fact that justice and judgment are two sides of the same coin. If we take away the notion of judgment, you immediately lose any hope of satisfying that longing for justice that's been built into us all. It's also at this point that we live with such a live wire connection with our wider culture, don't we? This is exactly the point at which Jesus can meet and wants to meet the passionate protester, the tireless campaigner. That longing for justice is satisfied in the just judge who's the foundation and the end of justice. Yet to see that longing truly fulfilled requires that we move aside from the judgment seat. There's only room for one judge. That's Jesus. His jurisdiction extends to all things, verse 22. He's been handed authority, verse 27. And his judgment, unlike my own, is just and right, verse 30. We need Jesus to speak to us, don't we? And we need him to make sure that judgment doesn't slip out of the Christian worldview. It plays a key part in our worldview, in the gospel message that we share, in the way we take our place in the cultural causes of justice today. In our eagerness to connect, Jesus warns us we must avoid a church-wide cultural amnesia with regards to judgment. But it's the just judge who brings life. I wonder whether you can come with me back to that first thing that we said. Do you agree with it? Do you think that's true? Jesus' words can do for sin and condemnation what you've just seen them do for muscles and nerves, tendons and ligaments. Do you believe that? Do you believe this? Will you go on at believing this? Well, here's something remarkable as we move from judgment to something entirely different. I haven't been able to, even been able to touch the remainder of our passage this morning. There's a, there's a whole other section that you'll see I haven't been able to get to, uh, verses uh, 31 to the end of the chapter. But in it, Jesus does something remarkable. We've just been talking about him as the judge, haven't we? The just judge. But here's something remarkable that he does. He is quite happy to go from that place of authority, of sole authority, to being scrutinized, to giving a defense, to laying out the good rational reasons for faith and belief in him. And that's what he does to those who are listening to him. He just works his way through, in the rest of John 5, five statements that evidence his identity. He's all about reason and logic. There are good reasons to believe. And Jesus just runs through them to the Jewish leaders of his day. He says, number one, that John the Baptist testifies to who he is. 
He says, number two, that the works that he does testify to who he is. He says, number three, the Father testifies to who he is. He says, number four, the scriptures testify to who he is. And number five, Moses testifies to who he is. The one with all authority, the just judge himself, is quite happy to be scrutinized, give a defense, and lay out the good and rational reasons for faith and belief in him. In fact, we know that right now in this passage, he's in front of a whole load of Jewish leaders who, if we read on to John chapter 12 and verse 42, a good number of them come to faith and believe in him. The offer's open to all, and he's willing and able to show the evidence for who he is. Well, we need to land it here, and Gemma's going to lead us in communion in just a few moments' time. I'm just going to summarise where I think we've gone this morning. I'm going to pray and then hand over to Gemma. John chapter 5, we've made it through to the end of it. Jesus' words can do for sin and condemnation what you've just seen them do to muscles, nerves, tendons and ligaments. How? Because Jesus is able He's equal with God in life and in judgment. And why has he done it? He's willing. The offer is open to all and there's good evidence to believe. And so my question just to leave you with is do you believe this? And there's an opportunity today, as there is every Sunday, to cross over from death to life, to believe on his word or to go on believing in his word. We're going to do that as we take communion in a few moments' time. Let's uh, close our eyes and pray together as we end our time here and move to communion. Lord Jesus, we love you. We thank you for who you are and for, for what you've done. Father God, we pray that we may get to know you better uh, through your son. May, may his love, uh, may his, uh, his life-giving power be present amongst us, we pray. And Lord, we, we ask for your help uh, this week as we go on believing uh, in the Lord Jesus. We thank you for your words to us that whoever hears you speak and believes you has eternal life and will not be judged but is crossed from death to life. If we haven't already and we want to, we cross over and we place our life uh, in your hands. We ask that in Jesus' name. Amen.